Ephesians chapter number 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 17. Pastor sends his greeting from the state of Missouri. He's there with the family preaching at another church. So be in prayer for them as they continue their travels tomorrow down to Oklahoma City for um, Hannah's graduation. Hannah's graduates from Heartland this Thursday and then takes, is going to go on a missions trip to the Philippines. So be in prayer for her as well. She's going with a group from um, Heartland Baptist Bible College. They do a missions trip every year. And so Hannah's going to be, this year it's to the Philippines, and Hannah's going to be going with them for a couple weeks before she comes back home. So I'm sure she would appreciate your prayers there as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17, we'll begin reading. Read through the end of the chapter. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart." who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we just get started this morning, I just come before you and I um, ask for your strength. I ask for your ability to communicate your word. I pray that your word would be clear today and that we could learn what you would have us to do, that we could leave here changed and continue and serve you better this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. To me, it seems, this, this just may be me, but to me it seems that the levels of rudeness and selfishness and just shameless indecency in New York City has just gone up and up and up. Whether you're driving or whether you're walking through Times Square, whatever you're doing, as you go about your daily life, it just seems that the, um, the levels of 
just immorality that is promoted or the, just the utter um, total absorption with oneself is just everywhere. I was driving over to Union this past week as we were working on the building. And usually, the, the way we, we um, kind of found a little bit, usually a shorter route, and we take, and as we're crossing 34th Street and Queens Boulevard, you can go there and hop on the Greenpoint Bridge and get over to Greenpoint, Brooklyn. But as I was driving that day, I was already running a little late. And you know that's always when it's going to be worst, when you're running just a little bit late. And I'm on 34th Street, getting ready to cross Queens Boulevard, and my light is green. But lo and behold, there's a semi-truck blocking the entire, the entire, nobody can get by, the entire intersection. He should have just waited, you know, because he realized that he couldn't get a 40-foot semi the whole way through an intersection when there's only that much room in front of him. I mean, that he has to go first. But see, this didn't happen once. I sat there for over 15 minutes, not moving. Why, at the same light, different trucks, three lights in a row, completely blocked the intersection. Three lights in a row, so I couldn't even move. I was stuck still, already running late, because somebody had to go first. Even though it was a red light, even though it's against the law to block an intersection. And you can imagine, my levels of frustration were going up, and like, I'm already running late. And, but... Doesn't that just give a slight illustration? Everywhere, it doesn't matter whether you're driving. It doesn't matter whatever you're doing. People, it's just getting worse. It's just getting worse. But this shouldn't be a surprise to us. The Bible tells us that as we live for God and as the day of the Lord's coming draws nigh, more draws closer, as we prepare for the Lord to take His church out, to take believers out of this world and take Him to heaven in what we call the rapture, while we're waiting on that, the Bible tells us that it's going to wax worse and worse. That people are going to completely reject God and they're going to go their own way. But it can be very discouraging as we see the world doing what the world is going to do. They do not have the Spirit of God living inside of them. They are controlled by the other spirit that is in the world. That would be the spirit of Satan. And they are following that. So it's no surprise that they are going that direction. It's no surprise that they have sold themselves to do evil. But as we look at what is going on around us, it can be discouraging say, how on earth does God expect me to live for Him in this world? When the Bible is mocked at every turn, evil is promoted as good, and good is promoted as evil. Does God expect us to live, or as this passage talks about walking, that's the same idea, as we walk through our life, as our daily um, deeds as we live our lives, as we walk through this life, is that supposed to resemble Christ? Is that supposed to show the world who He is? That even our actions, our thoughts, even our emotions, how we react to the situations, how we react to that semi-truck blocking the entire intersection, and then the next one blocking it, and then the next one blocking it, 
that our actions, my actions, my emotions at that moment are still supposed to show the world who God is. Is that how it's supposed to work? Yes. That's what the Bible says. That's what God has commanded us to do. Because the culture is not the standard of what is right and wrong. Whatever people are saying is what we're supposed to be doing. That doesn't matter. What we talked a little about in Sunday school. What God's Word says, that is what matters. God's timeless Word is the only compass by which we can guide our lives, our families, our respons- what God has given us, this church, to where God would have it to be. Guide our lives, our families, safely through the world that we live in. And we look at New York City, and it's a wicked city. Where, good, where evil is promoted as good and good is trumpeted as evil. And no doubt the times are wicked. And this city is wicked. But Paul was writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was what you might just... We're going to do a little bit of background about the city just to give us a, a little more understanding of what is going on. Ephesus is what you might call... The New York City, literally, of Paul's day. It was a capital in that region of the Roman Empire. And believe it or not, it was much worse than New York City. It was a pagan city where the worship of idols was promoted. In fact, the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word, at most, had been in the total amount in that city for about 20 years. Now, there had been Jews in that city. There was a synagogue in the city. But many of the Jews had stopped serving God long ago. They were serving the commercial, whatever that was in the city. It was a wealthy, important city. It was a crossroads of trade. It was a major port city. Massive amounts of wealth was pouring into Ephesus. It was just a great... um, If you wanted to do business in that area of the world, you were in Ephesus. And with all the money that poured into Ephesus, there was also just absolutely vile, wicked worship that was going on. All the city was centered, centered around the worship of this deity that all it was about was pleasing the flesh. And that's all we'll go into that. It was just wicked, wicked, wicked. It made New York City today look like a church house. Not only was there the emphasis on just the ways of the flesh, but there was also the the Greek culture of the humanistic thinking that man has all the answers or that only what pleases me is what matters. And Paul had come and he'd spent three years in the city. Usually Paul, on his journeys, if you read in the book of Acts, he might be in a city for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, and he could leave and a church would be established. Because there was people in that city, there was Jews in that city who had spent their lives studying the Bible, who all they had to do was realize that Jesus was the answer to everything that was in the Bible and that they believed on Jesus and they were ready to step forward and keep right on serving God. It wasn't so in Ephesus. There wasn't wasn't that foundation 
on the Word of God. There had been a great revival in the city to where, to where they were, um, the, those who had gotten saved were taking their books of um, witchcraft and other things. They were burning them and getting rid of the sin that was in their lives so they could serve God. But Paul had had to spend three years just to establish a church. Just so the people would have enough understanding of the Bible that they could attempt to live for God. Needless to say, this was not an ideal place to be a Christian. Would you agree with me on that? That the city of Ephesus was not what we would say, this was the greenhouse of Christianity. Where it was just easy to go there and everybody was living for God and it was a wonderful time. No, the culture was against them, just like it is here, just like it is everywhere you go. But Paul is writing to this church and he is pleading with them. He is insisting that those who had turned from their idols and turned to God and were serving God, they could not live the way they used to live. Verse number 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, from this point forward, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You can't walk the way you used to walk. You can't walk like the culture in your city is walking wide. They're walking in the vanity of their minds. They're walking in the futility, in um, the futility of their minds, you might say. In their own thinking. They're concerned with what they want. What their mind is telling them. This is what's good and this is what's right. And they are seeking after that. They are thinking, going after their own thinking. In the emptiness. Humanity. Humans do not have the answers. You cannot find the answer within you. The Bible says that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And yet, that is what those who are unsaved do. They walk in their own thinking. In the vanity of their minds. And Paul goes on to say, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of of their heart. They are blinded from the things of God. It is not. We could go to Romans chapter 1 and how the um, Paul, same, same person who wrote the book of Ephesus, Ephesians, wrote the book of Romans. And he talked about how the invisible things of creation, how God is evident, how that God is evident. Just if you look at creation, if you look at the world around you, God is evident. But that as they refused to listen to what God had revealed to them, their foolish hearts were darkened. It's the same thing that Paul's talking about here. It's not that God has not spoken. We have a whole Bible today. It's not that you cannot, even if you did not have the Bible, you cannot look in the sky at night. In New York City, you don't see a lot of stars. But there's trees up and down this block where you can see that someone That there was something that created this world. It did not get here by chance. God has spoken. God is speaking. And yet, the world is blinded to it. Through through their ignorance, they have chosen to ignore the light that God has chosen. And they are alienated from God. They have chosen their own way. And as they continue 
to turn from God. And as those who reject God, what happens is, verse number 19, who being past feeling, seared conscience. They don't know the difference between right and wrong anymore. That is how someone who um, looks at sin and can say, this is good, and can look at what is good and say, this is evil, is because they have seared their conscience. They don't know what is right. Because they, they have blocked out the light of God. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. The workings of the flesh. To work all uncleanness with greediness. They just, they can't get enough of sin. They keep going after it and keep going after it. Does not that describe New York City and the culture in which we live in? How that people have rejected God and continue. Not only have they rejected the light of God, they say, we are walking our own way and don't even know the difference between right and wrong anymore. Working all uncleanness with greediness. That sounds a lot like New York City. I'm not condemning New York City. I grew up here. But that's just the world in which we live. You could go anywhere in this world and you would see the same thing. Why? Because when people reject God, there is no answer but sin, but themselves. And this is the state of the unbelievers around the church at Ephesus. The state of some of their family members who have not accepted Christ. Their neighbors, the people they work beside. But Paul is saying in verse number 17 that ye henceforth walk not. He is insisting, saying, this is how the world is walking around you. This is how the culture is living. But you cannot live this way. No longer should your life resemble that of the world around you. Verse number 20, why? But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth that is in Jesus. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple chapters earlier. Paul was rehearsing with them what God had done in their lives. How He had taken pagan sinners and made them saints. It says, and you hath He quickened. That means made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Paul's reminding him, you can't live like you used to, But that's where you used to be. You used to be in the exact same state as the people who are around you today. But verse number four, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Paul's reminding them, you can't walk the way that the world around you is walking. In fact, you can't walk the way you used to walk. Because you used to be a part of the world that was around you. You used to do the exact same things. You were once dead in sins. And by nature the children of wrath. But the mercy of God has saved you. Because you received Christ. Not because God chose you. But because you heard, saw the light of God's Word. And rather than rejecting it, you said, God is my only hope. And you accepted Christ as your Savior. And now, verse number 21, verse number 21, if, if so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. If they had received the truth that is in Jesus, they were saved. If they had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they were saved. And if they were saved, what had happened in their life is they had, past tense, put off the old man. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to to deceitful lust. When it's talking about the old man, that is an illustration of our sinful nature. An illustration of how we used to be before Jesus Christ, if you are saved, has moved into your life. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Word of God is plain. You're still in the world. You are still one of those in the first three verses that we talked about, how that you are alienated from God. You have not been made alive. You are still dead in your sins, unless you have been saved by the mercy and grace of God. But Paul is writing to save believers in this wicked city, and is telling them, you cannot walk the way you used to walk. Because if you have received Christ, you have put off the old man. We were under His power. We were following the leading. We were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're the children of wrath. But when we got saved, this old man is put off, is crucified with Christ. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. This is past tense. As in this has already happened, the putting off of the old man. And it's passive. That means that God is the one who did this. God, if you are saved, God has in the past put off your old man. It is no longer part of your life. You are no longer under the dominion of the flesh. A saved person is not who he was. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were renewed in their mind. It says in verse number 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. When you were saved, you were given a new heart. You were born again. 
talk about renew. This isn't turning over a new leaf. This isn't um, reading that self-help book and planning out your life so you can be a better person. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a little different than putting off the old man. This is active. That means this is a continual process. No, your salvation is not a process. Once you are saved, it happens at a moment in time. The Bible is very clear about that. Just as you have a birth date on your birth certificate that at this time you were born, if you are saved, you have a spiritual birthday. A time when the old man was put off, when Jesus Christ cleaned your life, when, he, when you were born again. But you need a constant daily renewal of your mind. Because you're still living in your flesh. The old man has been put off. But every day we walk, we still have this flesh, these bones. Your body didn't change. Your physical body didn't change. But your spiritual life is completely changed. You are renewed in the spirit of your mind. The innermost part of your body is, shall we say, made alive. You have he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. 2 Corinthians 4.16 For which cause we faint not, but though our outmen perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of our life and provides what we need to live the Christian life. Once you and I are saved, we are on the road to sanctification. That's a big word. But it's an important word. There's justification. That is where you are made right with God. Where you are no longer considered at enmity with God. You are no longer against God. But now you are justified. Your sin account has been cleared. And once you are saved, there is the process of sanctification. Where God conforms you as conforms me as Andrew Montoro into the image of his son. In Romans, once again, Paul talks about, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to do what? Not to salvation, but to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the first among many brethren. What God is when He's renewing our lives is conforming our lives to become like the image of His Son. Not the world that is around us. Not the city of Ephesus that these believers were living in. But their lives were to be constantly being renewed and changed, made different into the very image of God's Son. But Paul's not done yet. He says, with the old man... Removed, something has to replace that old man. It's a principle. What is taken away, something must replace. Have you ever had a habit you were trying to break? Let's just say, I am going to get up early. Let's just say, that's a good habit to do. So if I am going to put off Sleeping in. 
I need to put on going to bed a little earlier so I can do it. What you must, if you're going to, one thing that uh, in counseling classes at Heartland when I was in college, they talked about if you're, if you're working with someone who, say, is struggling with listening to the wrong types of music, you can't tell them, you've got to completely cut music out of your life because you're listening to bad music. No, what needs to happen is you need to take out the old and you need to replace it with that which is good. And the paradigm is set right here. It says, verse number 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Once again, this is something that happened at the moment of salvation. Paul is not commanding us to put off our old man and pull on this new man. Each day as we wake up in the morning, we have to rip ourselves out of the old man and pull on the new in some mystical experience. No. All of that is past tense. The put off and the put on of the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man is all past tense. And it's all passive. That means God did it. And God did it when you got saved. The old man was put off and God put a new man on you. He replaced your life, your sin, with something else. If you could put off the old man by yourself, why would you need to get saved? If you could rid yourself of the power of the old man, the power of Satan in your life, why would you need God? But you can't. Each one of us, we are dead. You cannot be made alive without power. That which is dead needs life. Yeah. God gave us, when we got saved, He removed that old man, renewed our minds, instilled us with life, and gave us new life, a new man to walk forward for Him. The reason why the unsaved in this world cannot live godly lives is because they are still under the power and they are still under the control of Satan. You cannot better yourself spiritually. Yes, there is people in this world who can discipline their lives. Those who, at the men's advance, we learned a story about a man who was a teacher and weighed over 600 pounds. Could not even hardly move. But through discipline in his life and changing his diet and exercising, he has now run several half marathons. Is down, has lost over 300 pounds. And we can look at that and say, that's great. That's wonderful. And we can do that. Unsafe people can do that in their physical world. You know, unsafe people can stop drinking. Unsafe people can quit smoking. But what an unsafe person cannot do is get right with God on their own. They can, there cannot be the uh, right relationship with God by their own efforts. There had to be a time when their old man was put off and the new man was put on. And the Ephesian believers, that had happened. If they were a believer, if they were attending that church and had been saved, that had already happened in their life. They had already learned of Christ. They had put on the new man. And now because of that, that is why Paul is saying, 
You can't live the way you used to live because you're not the same person you used to be. You can't live like the world around you because you are not like the world around you. You have a different uh, master. You have a different body. And Paul, if you go back to verse number 1 in chapter 4, this is the theme that Paul is doing. is I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Paul is writing to these Ephesian believers and he's reminded them of who God is. And then chapter 2, where God has brought them from. That they were dead in their sins and yet God had made them alive. And now he's saying, because you are alive, you can't walk the way you used to walk. You must walk differently. You are to walk worthy of what God has called you to do. That's a challenge. Walk worthy of the Lord. Of the vocation of, the, of what God has called us to do. With all the wickedness of the city that are around them. The wickedness of the city of Ephesus. Or us. The culture that we live in in 2017. How can we walk worthy of God? Walk the way God has commanded us to walk in such a wicked world. With the constant temptations and the pressures that are put upon our lives. With our own sinful heart. Yes, we have put off the old man, but we still have this body of flesh in us that wants to go its own way. We constantly have to guard our hearts and rein it back in and say, no, you are not going this way. Paul said, I, bring, I put my body under subjection spiritually, lest Paul himself would be made shipwrecked. The Ephesian believers could walk worthy even in a wicked world, by living out their salvation in every decision. Their salvation was this. The old man had been put off. The new man had been put on. God was in control of their lives. Now they were renewed in their minds. You say, live out your salvation. In Philippians, Paul writes, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that look like? Simply, our actions, our thoughts, our emotions, our reactions, whatever, should be under control of the Spirit of God. Verse number 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The same way that they got saved. How? God saved them. Removed their old man and gave them a new man. And if they were going to live the way God wanted them to live, if they were going to walk worthy, the, the, what was in their life, they weren't under the power of Satan anymore. They were under the power of God. But we still each have the flesh in our lives. And as they had to live out their salvation, the same way they got saved, they had to put off and put on. Now, these next commands from verse number 25 to the end of the chapter, they're not passive. They're not past tense. They're what is happening right now. They are commands. You see, the Ephesian believers could not put off their old man. 
by themselves. God had to do that. They had to be saved miraculously by the grace of God. But each day that they lived, they had to make a choice to live out that salvation. To live out what God had done in their lives. If they were going to walk worthy, their lives had to resemble what God had done on the inside. And Paul says, you got to put off, put away lying. Put on, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Do we not live in a dishonest world today? All I have to say is lawyers. I'm not against lawyers. I'm not saying lawyers are sinful. But lawyers today, you look at every if you're going to get a loan, if you're going to do anything that involves money, if you're going to do anything, how many papers do you have to sign? How many um, agreements, how many clauses must be worked out so that you could not be sued or you cannot sue them? They're all worried about it. Why? Because they're lying. Because people don't speak the truth anymore. You say, well, I don't walk around and just tell lies. But you can live a lie. You can pretend to be one thing and be something else. Or you can show up, just simple way, show up to work and not work the way you tell your boss you're working. That's dishonesty. In Oklahoma City, my first semester, uh, first year at college, I worked at a go-kart place. And I was a a mechanic and we fixed the go-karts. And about halfway through the first semester, we got a new manager in, and he was going to run the maintenance department. And he was introducing himself to me, and he said, hi, my name's Curtis, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, now, as we were talking back and forth, he said, now I'll lie right to your face. But if you ask me, I'll tell you I'm lying. Like that was something good, that if I asked him, he would admit he was lying. But that's the world we live in today. And he claimed to go to church and claimed to be saved. Wherefore, Paul is saying, if you are going to walk worthy, this is what your life must look like. Put away dishonesty. Put on honesty. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, it's possible to be angry over the right reasons. That someone, you should be angry that someone is endangering the life of a child. Angry enough to say, hey, that isn't good. Let's, let's make sure that stops. You know, Jesus was angry when he went into the temple and he cast out the Pharisees. He used, Jesus used a whip and he drove them out. Why? Because they were, they were um, turning people away from worshiping God. The Pharisees were with the way they were cheating people and forcing the Gentiles out. Well, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. And then it says this, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know what a number one cause? If not the number one, one of the very top causes in conflicts, 
let's say marriage, let's say on the job, wherever, in families, is where people don't deal with their anger. They hold it in. They let it simmer. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So you are all bent out of shape about something. They may not even have meant to do that to you. The world says, I'll get even with them. I'll, I'll take care of this in my own time. I don't, I don't get even, I get ahead. You know, all, we have all these different statements of how we're going to deal with somebody wronged us. And we'll, we'll deal with it. But the Bible says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Get it dealt with now. He says, neither give place to the devil. When we, even as Christians, Paul's writing to save people here, remember? And he's telling them, if you want to walk worthy of God, if you want to walk the way God wants you to walk, this is what your life needs to look like. It needs to look like, not like the world of dishonesty, you need to have speak every man truth with his neighbor. Not holding grudges, dealing with your sin, because when you don't deal with that anger, when you allow it to fester, when you allow it, when you hold it in, what you're doing is you're giving a foothold to the devil to get into your life. And as you hold that hurt in your life, the devil will be right there to remind you of it. Right there to say, do you remember when they did that? Do you remember when they did that? And it'll just sit. And it'll simmer. And later in the chapter, in the end of the verse, and we're going to have to hurry, Paul talks about bitterness and wrath and evil speaking. Bitterness is when we don't deal with the anger, when we don't deal with the problem. Then it says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let him that stole steal no more. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a pickpocket. I don't walk around and take other people's money. I don't, I don't steal wallets. I don't, I don't, I'm not a shoplifter. Good. Let him that stole, if, you, if that is in your past, whatever it is, But you don't have to do that to steal. We all know that. There can be other things that happen in your life that are dishonest. And Paul's saying, if that was in your past, if you are a saved believer, that shouldn't be in your future. Rather, you should be working, laboring with your hands. Why? Why should you be working an honest job? Getting an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. So you can have riches? No. So you can have to give to him that needeth. Rather, the Christian life should not be about what can I get and what can I get here. It should be rather, I'm going to work honestly. I'm going to work the way that would be honoring to God. And then I have the ability to give to others that are around me. And then it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, why is definitely talking about dirty language and cussing and things that we would immediately consider, well, let no corrupt communication. Well, I don't tell dirty stories. I don't, I don't use foul language. But you know what the word corrupt also means? Useless. Rotten. Valueless. 
conversation that tears down? Because the opposite is, what should not be coming out of the mouth of a Christian is corrupt communication. What should be is that which is good to the use of edifying. What does edifying mean? To build up. To help people. You know a good word? Just a word of encouragement can go a long way. You come to someone and say, I'm just praying for you. I know that. You say, hey, it's good to see you in church today. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth by yourself with other people. Well, I'm not talking to that person. I'm just talking about that person. Is it tearing down? That's corrupt communication. That's of the flesh. That should be put off. A Christian shouldn't, life should resemble that of God. It should be walking worthy of who God is, worthy of what God has called us to, to, to walk to, to live. And what we say with our tongues, the James talk about how the tongue is a, a, a fire that no man, and that no man can tame it. And how, how many churches, how many families, how many people have been destroyed by the tongue? Rather, instead, how many people have been encouraged? How many people have been lifted up because of speaking that is edifying and ministering grace to the hearers. Rather that the Ephesian believers, they're speaking as they spoke one with another, and even as they spoke with the world that was around them, it should not resemble what was going on in the world, but rather it should be building up. Now at times, there's times, the um, pastor, as he is preaching, some of his words of edifying hurt. Why? Because something has to be removed from your life if you're going to truly be built up. That has to happen. That's part of that. But what it's talking about is your life should not, your, your communication should not be filled with rotten or use, useless stuff. But it should be, you know, your job as a husband is to help build up your wife and encourage her. As a father, your kids learn from what you do. That as you speak, you should be in the habit of speaking to your children and edifying and building them up and training them in the admonition of the Lord and teaching them how to live so that when they come, oh, here comes Dad. I know he's going to be mad at me and just chew me out again. Or at work, that coworker comes in who needs help and all they ever get is us chewing them out. Or... With me, I have many younger siblings who like to come into my office and talk to me when I'm in the middle of something. And I want to say, go away, leave me alone, you're bothering me. Sometimes. Sometimes more than sometimes. But what my communication should be, if I am living the way, if I'm going to walk worthy of what God would have me to walk, I should be interested in my tongue building them up. My tongue ministering grace to their hearing, to them. Notice right after that it says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. You know, as we live our lives, we, if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And it, it is daily, the Holy Spirit is daily renewing your minds. But as you, if we choose not to put off the works, we can't put off the old man, but we can put off the works of the world, we have to constantly. 
It wants to come into our lives and trip us up. But we must put off and put on what God has for us. If we fail to do that, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And we can stop moving forward for God. And then Paul sums it up. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Everything all that, that is in this world, the evil speaking. You go out into this world. Um, we were passing out tracts on Saturday. And I was um, passing out. And this um, one young lady walked, walked by. And she was just talking with her friend. And just the foul language that was coming out of her mouth. That is in the world. That should not be in the life of a Christian. Why? The old man has been put off. The new man has been put on. He says, let all bitterness... The book of Hebrews talks about how the root of bitterness springing up and many thereby be defiled. And wrath and anger and clamor should be put away from us because that is not how God would have us to live, but rather what our lives should resemble if we are going to walk worthy of Christ. If we are going to live out our salvation that God has given us. How do you live it out? And be ye kind. One to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. If you are saved, God has wiped your sin debt clean. God has forgiven all your sin, and you should live in that light. That as you deal with people with problems, which every person who lives has problems, there is no such thing. As a perfect person. There is no such thing as just perfect life. There are times where we enjoy life more than others. But there's a reason they call them fairy tales. It's because it doesn't exist. There is no way it can exist in real life. As we deal with problems, our lives should not live like those around us if you're saved. If you're not saved... You can get saved today. Because you are not a child of God. The old man has not been put off in your life. But I believe I'm speaking to mostly saved people here today that that at one point in your life, the old God put off the old man, gave you a brand new life. You were born again. And now if you are going to walk worthy of what God has called us to do, if you are going to walk the way God has called you to walk, you must live out your salvation. Live out daily a putting off of your flesh and a putting on of Jesus Christ. You must every day, every decision, every emotion that comes in your life, it wants to be that flesh, even though the old man is put off, it wants to come back and wants still to have control of your life. But you and I must live out our salvation every day, every moment of every day. Paul has given us clear examples of how our life should look. Your life should not be filled with have dishonesty. Rather, you should be speaking the truth. It should not be corrupt communication. It should be ministering grace and edifying people. You should not be grieving the Holy Spirit. 
There should not be bitterness and wrath, but rather you should be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. How, do you, how does that work in your life? Do you just say, I'm going to be forgiving one day. I, today I'm going to be forgiving. No. It's living out your salvation. The fact that you have a new man, not the old man. The fact that Jesus Christ is living inside of you should change the way you live and walk each and every day. Simply as you walk, it must be a rejecting of the things of the world and taking the, put, and putting on instead the things of Christ each and every day. God still expects you and I to walk worthy of God in New York City. On the subway train. With your family. In that cramped apartment. With your neighbor up ahead. Sounds like they're doing their morning exercises at 5.30 every morning. As the ceiling sounds like it's coming down. I'm just throwing out things that could possibly be happening in people's lives. Yet in every one of those situations, our lives should be still walking worthy of who God is. And there's only one way that can happen, is we live out our salvation each and every day. We put off, God has already given us a new man. We put off and we put on Christ. Each and every day, I was reading, if you're reading um, your Bible reading schedule this morning, you read Ephesians chapter 6. And the armor of God. How each, you must put on the whole armor of God. If you're going to walk worthy of God, you've got to have that armor of God on. It's not something you physically buckle on each morning and say, now I'm ready, I'm super Christian now. No. It's a daily submitting to what God has already done in your life. And allowing God to have control over every decision. So what does your life look like today? Are you living out your salvation? Am I living out my salvation? If I'm saved, am I doing what God has already made clear and evident in His Word I should be doing? Does my life, which side does my life show as I go through these verses? Talking about evil speaking, talking about anger and malice, talking away about dishonesty and stealing, versus edifying and honesty and tender-heartedness and forgiveness. Are you living out your salvation? You can, if you are saved, you can be renewed in your mind every day. The Holy Spirit can give you the power to live out your salvation. It is impossible to walk worthy outside of the Spirit of God. But if you're saved, the Spirit of God is inside you and every decision can be made under His control. Are you living out your salvation? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come before You. I thank You for Your Word. I thank, Lord, I thank You that what You've done in our lives, if we're saved, is just beyond description. I just pray as we consider this Word and look at our own lives, that we would match it up with the Word of God and You would show us where we need to change where we need to put off and what we need to put on so that we could walk worthy of where You have called us to go. 
that we could live out our salvation each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together, the piano will play. We won't sing this morning, but if you need to come forward and deal with the Lord, now is the time.